Welcome to the Stuff of Nightmares podcast. Hey, what's happening everybody? My name is Rick and I'll be your guide on this little journey to get your true crime and paranormal fix. We'll be talking about everything from monsters in the closets to monsters next door. So make sure you keep an eye on your neighbor, you look under your bed, you check your closets, because the stuff of nightmares starts now. Warning. This episode may contain graphic descriptions of violence that some people may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. When I think of the word innocence, the picture that comes into my mind is a baby. As they grow, we as parents try to shelter our children from all the bad that is in the world and instill in them that they can be anything and do anything they want when they get older. We try to raise them with good manners to respect other people and to treat others as we would want to be treated ourselves. We love, guide, and nurture them throughout their childhood, hoping to give them the opportunity to have a successful life. Now, they say there's no greater bond than that of a mother and her child. If that is true, what could possibly go through the mind of a mother that takes the life of their child? What could have possibly happened to them that they felt it was okay to take that innocent life out of this world? Here are a few stories of mothers that were actually monsters in disguise. Gail Trait Late in the night on Sunday, July 16, 1978, neighbors were shocked to hear screaming coming from the upper floor of a two-family home at 122 Montana Avenue in Buffalo, New York. No one called police until the screaming had stopped as they thought their upstairs neighbor, 26-year-old Gail Trait, was just giving their kids a whipping. Lena Jones was visiting Gail's landlord, Louise Peterson, when she decided to go find out what the commotion upstairs was all about. Lena rang the doorbell a few times and waited for someone to answer. Gail, a single mother of four children, stumbled out of her front door drenched in blood. She screamed, you are not my mother, and then she collapsed on top of Lena. Lena yelled for Mrs. Peterson to call the police. An ambulance arrived and rushed Gail to the Erie County Medical Center assuming the blood that was covering her was coming from a wound and she was one of the victims. The source of the blood, however, would be found upstairs in Gail's house. Upstairs, police found the bodies of Gail's daughters, six-year-old Amina and four-year-old Inez, covered in blood. They had been stabbed multiple times in the chest while they were watching TV. In the kitchen, they found nine-year-old Kylia and two-year-old Demario lying in a pool of blood on the floor. Not only were they stabbed, but they were also partially dismembered. DeMario's right leg had been hacked off at the hip and his right hand had been severed at the wrist. On the kitchen table alongside a blood-smeared anatomy book, police found the severed body parts, a bowl of blood, and a plastic container which held Demarius's eyes. A 13-inch butcher knife and 7-inch paring knife were also found in the kitchen and were believed to be the murder weapons. Homicide detectives immediately took Gail in for questioning as other officers talked to neighbors, family, and friends. Almost immediately, family and neighbors started talking about voodoo. Police were told that Gail practiced black magic and voodoo 
and she believed she was under a voodoo curse. At police headquarters, Gail admitted to stabbing the children, but claimed voodoo had nothing to do with it. She claimed she killed them to save their souls. She told officers, they weren't my children until I killed them. At trial, Gail's attorney, Carl Vizzi, entered an insanity plea for his client. He also filed two different $40 million wrongful death lawsuits against the county for the murders. He claimed that if the children were not removed from foster care and returned to Gail, they would probably still be alive. While awaiting sentencing, Gail tried to set herself on fire by lighting her gown with a match, but a deputy noticed and put the flames out with a fire extinguisher. In February of 1980, Gail was found guilty on four counts of second-degree murder and was sentenced to 25 years to life in prison. After spending 10 years in prison, Gail's conviction was overturned. She was declared legally insane in 1989 and she would spend another 10 years in a psychiatric hospital before being released in 1998. Neither Gail nor her mother would ever collect on the wrongful death lawsuits as both lawsuits would end up being thrown out of court. At this time, Gail's current whereabouts are unknown. Christy Sheets Dealing with the stress associated with the death of a close loved one can be very hard. Compound that with a second death before you can even get over the grief of the first can rapidly turn into a downward spiral into depression. In 2012, 38-year-old Christy Sheets was dealing with the death of her grandfather when a few months later, her mother passed away. Over the course of the next four years, Christy sought treatment at three different mental health facilities. She would begin to take several medications for anxiety and depression to deal with her loss. During that time, Fort Bend County Sheriff's deputies would visit her home 14 times for calls to 911. Three of those 14 calls would be for attempted suicide. On June 24, 2016, Christy's life spiraled out of control. She was about to lose everything she loved and something snapped inside her. She got into an argument with her 22-year-old daughter Taylor and tried to keep her from seeing her fiance, whom Taylor would be marrying in the next few days. She was having a hard time dealing with her daughters growing up and potentially moving on in their lives. Then, that same day, her husband Jason would tell her that she would not ruin any more of his birthdays and wanted a divorce. Christy called a family meeting and Jason thought it was to let the girls know they were getting a divorce. Christy pulled a 38 caliber handgun out of the sofa cushion and threw pleas from the family to put the gun away shot Taylor and her 17-year-old sister, Madison. The girls, along with Jason, ran out of the front door to escape Christy, where Madison collapsed and died. Christy followed Taylor out into the streets and shot her again while Jason ran to safety at the end of the cul-de-sac before returning to the house to reload the gun. As police arrived, they witnessed Christy shoot Taylor a third time and ordered her to drop her weapon. When she refused to listen to the officer, he fired one shot, killing Christy. 
Taylor was airlifted to Memorial Hermann Hospital, where she later died. Jessica Edens In April of 2017, Ben Edens and his wife Jessica were having marital problems and decided to separate. When Ben moved into the same apartment complex, his 28-year-old girlfriend, Meredith Rame lived in, Jessica started to develop a plan that would make Ben regret his relationship with Meredith. Jessica started by leaving harassing messages on Meredith's Facebook page. Then on July 12, 2017, Jessica went over to her parents' house while they were away and stole her father's 40 caliber handgun. On the morning of July 13th, Jessica would start texting strange cryptic messages to her estranged husband. The last text at 2.49 p.m. and asked Ben to meet with her to answer some questions that she had. Ben felt uncomfortable about meeting with her and contacted her mother to let her know that she was acting strange. Shortly before 5 p.m., Jessica drove to the Greenville apartment complex where Ben lived, walked into the parking garage, and shot Meredith in the head while she was sitting in her car. She then got into her Jeep where her children were waiting and drove seven miles to the town of Easley. She placed a phone call to Ben, who at the time was with the police, and told him, everyone you love is gone. Do you hear me? I'm about to be gone too. She hung up the phone and proceeded to shoot nine-year-old Hayden King and four-year-old Harper Edens before turning the gun on herself. When police arrived, they found the vehicle running with the bodies inside. Zakia Latrice Avery Zakia Latrice Avery was a 28-year-old mother of four who lived in Germantown, Maryland with her friend, 21-year-old Monifa Sanford. They met at church after Zakia and her husband had separated and moved to Los Angeles, California. The church, Exusia Ministries of Germantown, is one of only a few hundred non-Catholic churches around the world that practice exorcisms. On January 16, 2014, worried neighbors called police after they noticed Zakia had left her children alone in the car for 45 minutes. Police arrived shortly after, but the children were no longer in the car, and when they knocked on Zakia's door, there was no answer. At 9.30 a.m. on January 17th, police were called again when someone noticed a car outside Zakia's residence with the door open and a bloody knife on the ground outside it. When police arrived, Zakia ran out the back door but was soon apprehended. Once inside, police discovered the bodies of one-year-old Norell Harris and his sister, two-year-old Zyanna. They had both been stabbed several times while they were sleeping. In another bedroom, they found five-year-old Tania and her eight-year-old brother Martello. They were also stabbed multiple times, but were still alive and were rushed to the nearby hospital. Zakia was arrested, and the following day, her roommate Monifa was taken into custody. Both would be charged with two counts of first-degree murder and two counts of attempted murder. Zakia would tell the Montgomery County Court 
that she was a commander in a demon assassin's cult and their calling was to hunt demons. She claimed that her and Monifa had witnessed the children's eyes turning black and watched a demon jump into Norel from a black cloud that had formed over him. They first tried to break his neck. When that did not release the demon, they tried to choke it out of him. Finally, when that didn't work, they stabbed him. After the stabbing, they claimed to see the demon rise and float over the other children before jumping into another. They continued to stab each child in an attempt to perform an exorcism and drive the evil spirits away. After all the children were stabbed, the two women showered together to wash off the blood. They then washed the bodies of the children and wrapped them in blankets so they could appear clean before God. In court, Zakiah would plead guilty to those two counts of first-degree murder and two counts of attempted first-degree murder. On September 15, 2016, Judge Terrence McGann ruled Zakiah was not criminally responsible for the death of her children after a psychiatric evaluation. She would be sent to a psychiatric hospital in lieu of prison to do her time. Monifa would take a plea deal in the murders and she would also do her time in a psychiatric hospital instead of prison. If you or someone you know are having suicidal thoughts or are thinking of hurting someone else, please call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. Like what you're hearing so far? Make sure to never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. Hi, my name is CJ here from the Mystery Stone Podcast and Cryptid Technical. Uh, you guys might be familiar with me. If not, uh, please check out my shows. Uh, but uh, Rick here asked me to come on and tell my story about uh, experiencing a little bit of a paranormal type thing going on, which is somewhat of a unique story because it's not exactly horrifying uh, as it is. It's a little psychological and nobody got hurt or anything, so it's not exciting in that matter. But it's certainly an interesting case altogether. Uh, the whole thing started when I moved in, moved into the house that I live in now. Uh, initially, uh, nothing really happened. Um, we lived here for about a year and never really experienced anything. Uh, I had experienced paranormal incidences previous to this uh, in, in homes that I lived on in older neighborhoods. Uh, but uh, th- this one really sticks out uh, being the most recent and kind of the strangest that uh, I've experienced. Now, uh, when my wife... Uh, became pregnant with with our son uh, we set up the uh, nursery and we started noticing that the bed sheets uh, uh, in the crib were turned down in, in a way that would be like if you were putting a baby into it and we kind of thought like the other was doing it just kind of like practicing getting ready to have like a baby and everything in the house and uh, later on it came out that neither of us was doing this it was really strange uh and then other little things started happening like there would be like uh clothing laid out uh like on the dresser there's just odd stuff so uh previously uh, maybe a year and a half before uh, we started having the baby um we had actually acquired um 
paranormal investigation stuff like thermal cameras and whatnot and so me and my roommate kind of did like a little ghost investigation in there and we didn't really get much of anything but we did get a couple evps uh with uh, a woman's voice we asked them you know why are you here what do you and then the woman's voice said baby and we said oh you're a mother okay um and uh well you know uh, did you what did you have a son a daughter and she said boy and it was over the course of two evp sessions about 20 minutes apiece uh after that we didn't really have too too much going on um and then the baby was born now we would have like weird situations where the baby would drop his his nunny or binker whatever you guys want to call that uh and somehow the child that could not walk was getting this thing off the floor and back into his mouth um the electronic toys in the room would go off at random now that's not super strange if you're stomping through a house or whatever maybe some of the toys go off but you would be standing in the kitchen by yourself not doing anything and three or four of them would start going now that it started slower uh later on it picked up and it got to the point where it didn't matter who was in the house how many times they'd been here uh where you were middle of the day middle of the night it didn't matter these toys would start going off now at one point uh my mom and my stepmom and i were in my backyard working on the garden my son was inside taking a nap. He was sleeping. And my stepmom looks up uh, to the third story window and says, someone's in your house. Now, I look up and I can see the silhouette of a person in my third story window. Now, I know my roommate's not home. He He's off somewhere. My wife was at work. It was just me, my mom, and stepmom, and the baby. And now the first thought in my head is, um, someone's in my house with my six-month-old. So, I, I rush in. Um... You know, uh, I, I grab a, a handgun and I'm going through the rooms and I can't find anything. So finally I get up to the third floor and I get to that window and there are a pair of handprints on the window, small like a child's. Uh, the the thumbprints are on the opposite sides as if like you cross your arms and then press your hands to the window. It was very, it was strange, um, but nothing really frightening um, other than thinking that there was a person in my house. Uh, so as my son gets a little older, he's a little more responsive, uh, sitting up on his own and whatnot. And we would hear him doing his baby talk and laughing as if somebody was tickling him. And it, it kind of got to the point where we got used to the fact that there was this ghost that just kind of like played with my son occasionally. And uh, no one was really afraid or anything like that. And it was real interesting. It's about this time where uh, we started working on a project to film a movie. Uh, this movie uh, was never completed uh, due to other reasons um, but there's a main one which we'll get to in a little bit there um, but the, the the pretense of this movie um, was that uh, there was people living in in a house and the setting was my home we were filming inside my house and that the next door the next door house was uh, uh, empty and there was like this guy squatting in there and he'd rigged up the main house with cameras and microphones and stuff. it was like essentially stalking the people it was like a psychological horror film and uh we were doing all this spooky stuff and there was murder involved and some costume makeup and people were really getting into the roles uh maybe six months into filming this thing um things started getting really weird uh, my wife would come down from taking her shower and she'd be like you know i really had this feeling that there was like a man watching me in the shower 
and it was like oh that is weird um you know and then like it was going on for about a week or so and then at this time is when the electronic toys uh for my son really started getting crazy like they would go off all of the time uh people in would be over here visiting us and they didn't they didn't believe in ghosts at all and i would tell them like you know the house is haunted like and then the toys would start going off. I actually had my friend Andrew, uh, who's uh, one of my co-hosts on Crypto Technical, was in my living room. Uh, he was one of the guys who was telling me that, uh, that uh, you know, it was nonsense, da, da, da. And then the toys went off, and he literally booked it right out of my house. Just left. And <laughs> uh, it, it was pretty funny. Um, shortly after that, uh, anywhere between 2 in the morning and 4 in the morning, the baby would start waking up and... and crying and it wasn't just like a normal cry and anybody who's a parent knows that there's the cry for attention there's the cry for I'm hungry uh, there's the fake cry because you think you're not getting enough attention uh, and then there's the I'm hurt cry and then there's I'm horrified and terrified cry and my son would scream like the scariest thing in the whole world was going on so we would pull him into bed with us and to this day he's three years old now he still sleeps with us uh, we haven't been able to get him to sleep in his own bed since. Um, and that went on for a while, uh, probably a good three or four months. And it was getting a little crazy from there where uh, we couldn't it'd be anywhere between two and four in the morning, like not directly at three or anything like that, like you would see in Hollywood, but somewhere in that time window, uh, he would wake up in the same thing. And we took him to the doctor. Doctor couldn't find anything wrong with him, anything like that. Uh, soon then I'm trying to remember I think I think this is when the stuff started going missing little things uh, would just start vanishing uh, and then like reappearing in odd places of the house um, stuff would get knocked over randomly uh, the fridge door would open while you were standing in the kitchen just kind of weird stuff uh, but at this point is when it, it, it was really starting to get spooky people were starting to get unnerved um and we, we were still filming this movie and everything was going uh, pretty status quo just the kind of the raised level of this doesn't feel right anymore this doesn't feel this doesn't feel safe and then uh, one night uh, we're laying in bed uh, we're watching a movie and the shadow of a grown man walks across the wall like just passes over the wall outside of my windows and I was like that was a grown man and my wife was like yeah people sometimes walk and we looked in the shadow walked back uh, the other direction i was like people don't walk on the sidewalk at my third story window because uh, that's where our bedroom is is in the third story um at that point uh being a practicing metaphysicist since i was about 15 years old i knew like all right there's we need to do some stuff we need to get some of this energy out of this house we go down to a local metaphysics shop um, and we're trying to pick up some stuff and whatnot. And uh, the, the lady behind the counter is talking to us and uh, she's a practicing witch and everything like that. And we're like, yeah, this is what's going on. And it's really weird. And, you know, and she goes, oh, yeah, what you're doing is not going to be enough. You have a gin in your house. Now, at this point, I'd never even heard of a gin before. I mean, outside of the show Supernatural or maybe like, you know, the concept of the genie. Uh, I didn't know the actual mythology and lore behind what an, what a jinn was itself. 
Um, but she immediately closed her shop down, grabbed a bunch of her tools, hopped in her van and came to my house and did this whole cleansing and blessing ritual for free. Uh, it, uh, according to her, uh, there was a portal opened up in this mirror that was in my living room. Now, this is kind of where the movie gets relevant because the focus of the movie, the, mo the whole movie was inspired by this particular mirror, saying that somebody was basically watching these uh, characters through that mirror. And um, I, uh, w how it was explained to me was uh, by bringing in this, this energy uh, from filming this movie, uh, we had accidentally opened up a portal and allowed a djinn into the home. Uh, she also found a secondary portal in a mirror that was in my basement, and she closed that. Uh, she performed something called the Lesser Banishing Ritual of the Pentagram in pretty much every room of my house. Um, she smudged everything with a combination of sage and rosemary and things, things that were for uh, banishing demons. Uh, and then uh, burned uh, Reiki candles throughout the home. Um, and uh, since then, uh, we haven't really had any sort of activity besides that so uh she also told me there were three spirits in the house there was a spirit of a woman a child and then the djinn and now i hadn't told her about the woman and the child ahead of time and actually i didn't tell her about those two while she was still here i kind of kept that to myself because um, I, I was needless to say a little freaked out um because djinn are basically energy vampires and they stand over you and they drain the life from you. They won't necessarily kill you, but they'll feed on you and like wreaks emotional havoc on you. And apparently it was targeting my child for the most part, which was equally horrifying. Um, so the house was blessed and protections were put up and we haven't had a, a problem since, but for a little while there, there was a gin in my house that went from being completely benign, um, to, scaring the crap out of us on a regular basis and it didn't necessarily try to physically harm us there was no threat of possession even though apparently jinn are capable of possessing people um there wasn't any threat of that and we don't feel like any of us experienced that but the possibility of it, it, it it's like hanging out in shark infested water and not knowing you're in shark infested water and then later finding out there was a shark right next to you I, it was just uh it was intense and that was that that's pretty much my story thank you cj that was a very interesting experience our next submitter is becky hi this is becky from pennsylvania i will start with the first story um the house i lived in um was very haunted i finally found out that his name was tom Tom did a lot of different things around my house. Um, I had a habit of sitting at the computer playing games on my computer and the, my husband at the time would go to bed fairly early. He got up the one night and he said, why'd you open the bedroom door? I said, I didn't open a bedroom door. And he closed the door and went back to bed. I turned around, went back to playing my game. Two seconds later, I heard the door actually open again. So I got up, pulled the bedroom door shut. I turned, went back, sat down. Two seconds later, he did it again. So I finally told him, I was like, Tom, stop messing with the door. Um, then he had a habit of smoking a pipe or a cigar. I'm not sure which one. 
so he would also come near me at night when I was playing a computer. It gave me a headache. So I would have to tell him all the time, like, Tom, take, take it somewhere else. And as quick as you would smell it, as quick as it would be gone. So he was a prankster. He also liked to move stuff around my house all the time. And one night he decided he was going to get into Halloween decorations. And my dog was in a crate at the time. And he stuck the Halloween decorations in her crate. Now, there was no way that it fell in, obviously, but he did. And one day he was also, I was getting ready to go get some photos taken and whatnot. So I had makeup. I could not find this makeup anywhere and lo and behold he took it and sat it on my bathroom sink. Now where it was prior to that I have no idea because it wasn't there and I hunted high and low because that's where I thought I had laid it but it wasn't. So anyway Tom is still there. He likes to pray pranks on people and doesn't bother anybody really. Um, the research I did find out was that he was actually killed in 1968 and he was murdered. So, but my house wasn't that old, but I guess it happened somewhere around there. But that's that story. Moving on, I spent a lot of time in uh, Gettysburg. I've probably made over 100 trips to Gettysburg. One of the places that I really love to go is the orphanage. And if you have never been there, I would suggest it, but it is haunted. During the tour of the orphanage and everything, they will tell you downstairs that they put these dolls, they kind of remind you of Raggedy Ann and Andy dolls. They all leave them down there for a while and then they turn around and they take them upstairs and you can buy them. So me being me, I had to buy one of these dolls. Now they actually give a paper that is with this doll that tells you that an entity could be attached to the doll. So I brought the doll home, my granddaughter's five. I gave it to her because of course what little girl doesn't like stuffed animals and little dolls. Well, everything else went in her bed and I put this doll to bed with her and the next day she gets up. I've told her nothing about this doll, nowhere that it didn't tell her where it came from or nothing, just that I got it for it. She says to me, Nanny, it can't stay in my bed anymore. It laughs at night and keeps me up. I just thought she was five, whatever. She laid the bed doll outside of the bed. I turn around while she wasn't paying attention later that day, put the doll back in her bed and kind of hit it with her other stuffed animals. The next day, she got up extremely mad at me and she said, I told you not to put that doll back in my bed. It laughs and giggles and keeps me up at night. So my son, that's still at home, he also heard little children running and playing and opening doors and turning on lights and so on and so forth. Well, I have since moved from that residence. That doll stayed there. And I've been back to Gettysburg and I have bought another doll there. So now the house where I live in, which had no activity prior to this, I bought another doll and now we hear little children once in a while playing. I talked to my ex-husband just the other week and he had went to bed, he lives by himself. He got up in the middle of the night because he thought he heard a child crying. 
He went back in the room. Laying in the middle of the floor was this doll. He went back to bed. He heard it again. He's like, I wasn't getting up again because I knew there was no little children in the house that were crying. Another story is the guy that I'm dating, I'd stayed down at his house. I told him from pretty much from day one that his house was haunted by several different people. I don't think he kind of believes me, but one is his grandfather. And his grandfather was a very large man, to say the least. Anyway, he always stopped to check on him, is how I felt about it. The one night we were laying in bed, and we were both sound asleep. The next thing you know, the side of the bed goes down like somebody very large would have sat on the end of the bed that, that he practically rolled out. He sat there for a few minutes. Next thing you know, he got up, and that was the end of it. Like, the spirit was gone. Thank you, Becky, for your experience. Well, that's it for this week's episode of the Stuff of Nightmares podcast. Thanks for listening. If you would like to find out more about today's topic, you can check out our sources in the show notes on Facebook and our website at www.thestuffofnightmares.show Like, share, and follow us on Facebook as well as subscribe and give us a positive review on your favorite podcast app or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have an experience that you would like to share with the show, you can either email me to admin at thestuffofnightmarespodcast.show or message me through Facebook. I am your host, Rick Ness, I will see you next episode where I hope to find out what keeps you up at night.